quickly on, as we go into the four weeks of Christmas, I usually do a Christmas series, and starting in probably September, October, I wrestled with God a bit and wanted to do a Christmas series, and God just kept reeling me back to this series. Um, I came across a book called Margin. Um, oftentimes, when I stand around and I eavesdrop, you guys think my mind's going a bazillion miles an hour, and it is, but I listen to what conversations sound like in the church and amongst people in our community group and so forth. And I keep hearing the theme over and over about how overloaded or how hectic our lives are and that how we never have time to do things and we're constantly go, 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 go. We're stretched to the max. We're stressed out. We're pushed to the end. And so as I wrestled with God back in September and started kind of doing uh, the series for Christmas and lining that out, God kept reeling me back to this. So we're going to go through the series. I'm going to let God win. Imagine that. And uh, we're going to go through the series going in the next four weeks dealing with an overloaded life. And so as I read this book, this is written by a Christian medical doctor. He writes it from a medical standpoint with a little bit of a Christian slant to it. And it's actually quite disturbing. It's amazing how many um, side effects we have in our life that we don't even really connect the dots um, with our hectic lifestyle and a life that's just so demanding. Um, Energy, anxiety, health, um, mental stability and so forth. There's all kinds of issues um, that we wrestle with. He calls, he calls it a modern disease that is affecting our culture. The millennials even worse than perhaps some of us older folks um, just because of the, the, the pace in which they're used to uh, living their life and how discouraging it is. And so as pastor, not only do I talk about uh, things that uh, are important, but we also at times... I am to care for the souls of our folks as a shepherd. And so I want to help us to get a perspective of what God has to say about our lives in the hectic lifestyle in which we live. And so if you have your programs, you can go ahead and open them up. And inside you'll find an outline to follow along today as we have some fill-in-the-blanks. And today we'll start the series, and so there's going to be some kind of definitions that I want to get um, uh, a hold on and a handle on and that we'll begin to work through. Um, Richard Swenson says, who the doctor who wrote the books, he he says when it comes to overloaded, here's just a few of the things that he says. He says they're all overloaded. So activity, change, meaning the multiple things that we have, choice, commitment, debt, decision, expectation, fatigue, hurry, information, media, noise, people overloaded, possessions overloaded, technology overloaded, traffic overloaded, and work overloaded. And as he talks to our culture, he says just about in every area of our life, from the youngest to even folks who are seniors who are retired, and that's another trend that we're hearing amongst retired people is the pace in which they're living their life is is going extremely fast as well and how unhealthy it is 
and how it creates multiple problems. And what's interesting, we're going to see this next week. The very thing that God desires for us not to put aside, our intimacy with him and a rest, you know, the Sabbath, not the Saturday, but a day of worship, a Sabbath, right? In the the Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me. You know that one? You know that one? Okay. And have a Sabbath. Those are the two things that with our hectic lifestyle are the first two to be put aside. And so we're in a cycle of really destruction in our life. And it creates, again, all kinds of problems in our life. So let's take a look at this. And I'm going to come at it with a little bit of a different slant than the doctor who wrote the book. He talks about it being something from the 1800s. I actually think it goes all the way back to Genesis 3, and I'll I'll share that with you. The very top of your outline, here are some definitions that we need to get as we get ready to start into the series. Dr. Swenson says that a historian has described progress from, he says, from the 18th century until the 21st century, Every group of people or every generation of people have always believed in progress, that somehow we're going to kind of proceed to a higher stage of development. Now, not, we're not talking about evolving um, in a sense, but that technology is going to get better, industry is going to get better, medication is going to get better, that everything's going to get better. And he says, all the way back into the 18th century, every generation of people have, has believed that the next generation will have it better, and therefore we press and we push to try to, to raise the level of living in our life, okay? So are we tracking okay? Because it's important to kind of get a hold of that idea that we're wanting to advance our life. If we have a problem with energy, we're going to create technology and it's going to be wind and it's going to be solar and that's going to fix our energy issue, right? If there's a disease that gets discovered, we're going to create a new medication to cure that disease. Every generation has this idea of pressing higher, pushing further, and advancing in their life. Okay? You got that idea? Okay. The second one that I want you to get a hold of is the idea of margin. Okay? Margin is what you put on bread. Right? It's not butter. It's margin. Okay, no. Margin is an extra amount allowed beyond what is needed, all right? So let me give you this, and we'll, get up, we'll figure this one out. Margin is when you have 30 minutes of time to get to a place that is 15 minutes away. You have a margin of 15 minutes. You know what that's like? Most of, no, I don't, right? Margin is at the end of the month, you have a bill or something has come in unexpectedly, it costs $50, but you have $100 left over. You have $50 margin to pay the bill. Are we tracking? All right. Most of us live a life that is margin-less, right? We have 15 minutes to get to a place that's 
30 minutes away. Right? We, we have $50 in our wallet to pay for something that costs 100 Right? Right? That's where we live for the vast majority of folks in our life. And so here's what Dr. Swinson says, okay? He says, margin has been stolen away by progress, or, or, and progress was the thief, okay? Now get a hold of this, because this is where I'm going to turn it back, and we're going to show you what Jesus talks about, okay? So here's what his theory is. His theory is what has reduced the margins in our life is a desire to want to progress or advance in our style of living, in our culture, in all the things that we do. So we buy more, do more, sign up for more, and involved in more things because we believe that it's going to advance our living. It's going to make life better for us. All right? And so he says what has stolen our margin of living, where we're living within our means, where we're living within our, the context of our calendar, our time, is this inner desire to want to have more. We believe that more is better. Would you agree with that? Would you ab- agree with that? Now, I know I was gone last week, but the rules still say the same, right? Church, you got to talk back, otherwise it's going to be a long afternoon for us. You know what I'm saying? So we believe that if we have more, do more, accomplish more, buy more, sign up for more things, get our kids involved in more stuff, that life is going to be better. Now, he says that it goes back to the 18th century. I actually disagree with that. I believe that it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the fall in the garden. That every group of people from the fall in the garden has had an emptiness in their life. There is a spiritual emptiness in their life. And we have begun to believe, because we're yoked with the world, and we'll get into that today, we believe that in order to fill that void in our life, we just need to plug enough things in there, and that will fill the void. And so we're constantly trying this, doing that, signing up for this, buying that, getting involved in this, signing the kids up for that, and trying to plug the void, and there is an emptiness in us. Now, my suggestion to you, and what I propose to you today, is that it isn't an issue of wanting to climb up the ladder to make life easier and better. It's really a spiritual hunger that we're desiring for in our life. And if you look at your calendar and you look at your life, and we'll look at our finances, our moral life, and everything else, if you feel overwhelmed, here it is. It is spiritual in nature. It isn't a time management issue. We attack it from a time management issue. And as a result, we never seem to catch up with and figure it out. All right? So let's go on. 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. <clears throat> so progress is advancing. Margins is the stuff that's allowed leftovers so you could achieve what it is. And the doctor says margins has stolen away this uh, idea of, uh, from progress, wanting to have more, do more. So here, here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 11, in verse uh, 27 and following. Here's what he says. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Okay, so there are two powerful truths to get our mind around today, and then we're going to jump into some principles, okay? So Jesus establishes who he is. In verse 27, he says, All things have been, given to, uh, have been committed to me by my Father. Two important truths to grab a hold of. The first one is, the first important truth is, Jesus unequivocally equates himself with God, calling him Father, all right? So we're Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of, of the Son of God, right? And so oftentimes people say, and this is kind of a side note, people say, well, Jesus never declared to be God. This is one of the verses in the Scripture that's probably the clearest on the deity of Christ. He, he clearly states who His Father is. He clearly states how He's connected to Him, right? There's no, there's no real question about that. So the first one is, he unequivocally equates himself to God. The second truth is this, that in his deity, Jesus has received all things, all authority, sovereignty, truth, and power that is from the Father. Okay? Now you go, well, why, why is that? We're going to talk about what it means when he talks about being yoked with him. Okay? So, so he says... He's unequivocally equated to the Father and all authority, all sovereignty, all truth, all power has been given to him. You got that? Got that around? Yeah. Okay. So here are two or three rather important truths to begin to peel away and understand the underlining reason why our lives are so filled and so uh, overloaded in all areas of our life. And this isn't an 18th century, 20, 19th century, 20th or 21st century. This is a humanity issue going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It is spiritual in nature. It is a desire from humanity to want to kind of climb the ladder to fill the void that we have in our life. And so... Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. So he just said that, that, that he's equated with the Father, that all authority has been given to him. Verse 28, here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right, so go ahead and circle those three. Come, take, and learn, okay? Jesus is going to kind of highlight those in our life. So how do we create room or margin in our life? How do we strip away all the things 
that we're doing to get into really what's important and what God desires for us to do. Principle number one. The first thing is that I come to Christ. I come to Christ. And I know church are like, duh, right? So go ahead and do the duh because I was gone last week. (sighs) Now I feel better. Verse 28, here's what he says. Come to me, right? When you think through the life of Christ and you think through the earthly ministry of Christ, people came to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. They came to be healed, right? They came for wisdom. They came for eternal life. They came for purpose. They came for meaning. But he says in here, come to me. And ultimately, he says, I'm going to give you rest in your life. And he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So let's break down those words here. He says, come to me. Now, the idea of come, there's a synonym, a synonym when it says come to me. There, there is, it, it's kind of automatically thought of that if you come to Christ, there's a submission to his lordship. All right, it's kind of like, you know, thirst and drink, they're kind of synonyms, they're kind of connected to each other. So when Jesus says, and he calls them, and he says, come to me, automatically there in your outline, it's to believe to a point in your life where you're submitting to him as your Lord of your life, okay? The leader of your life, the king of your life. To come to him is to submit to his lordship in your life. And then he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and that's where we're going to fall in. When he calls them, so remember, this is back in biblical times. This isn't the 18th century. When he calls them and he says, all you who are weary, he's speaking to people who, with their own human wisdom and their own human resources, have tried to fill a void in their life to find meaning and purpose in their life. They were trying to work their way up to God. They were trying to work their way to salvation. And so they were trying all these different gimmicks and all these different things in order to please Him, in order to please God, in order to bring favor to themselves. And so they're trying all this human wisdom and human logic and human reasoning. reasoning. And as a result of that, they became weary in what they were doing because it was never enough. It wasn't quite enough to fill their cup, to bring them that completeness in their life. And folks, let me just kind of pause and say, that is exactly what our culture is because it's not unique to our culture. All cultures have been doing the same thing. There is a spiritual emptiness in our life and we are trying to fill it and we've been yoked with the world and we believe more is better. And so we're doing more, trying more, buying more, consuming more. Everything is about more in order to fill that that burden or that hole, if you will, in our life. And Jesus speaks to the people and he says, listen, this is exactly what they were doing. They were trying their own resources, their own human wisdom to fill it and it wasn't working. Then he goes on in... in, uh, Verse 28, and he uses the word burden, and that's in your outline. And that indicates that at some point, at some time, someone backed up a dump truck, maybe some of you feel this way, and they just dumped a whole load of stuff 
on you. You ever feel that way? Yeah, right? So what's interesting is weary is an internal kind of burden in your life, right? The burden, the next burden is an external burden that has been dumped. So not only internally are you struggling, but externally as well. There's never enough time to do. And this is why the two things that we run from is seek first the kingdom of God when our life is filled. That's one of the first things we press, we put aside. And to have a Sabbath is another thing to put aside. See, when our life is filled with things to do, we think we need to work harder, right? We just need one more day to get everything accomplished. And so we're going to say, hey, we're going to take Sunday morning and we're just going to kind of push it aside because I got things to do in order to accomplish, to do, and whatever, right? In order to kind of unload this, this burden that has been dumped on me. Are we tracking okay? Are we tracking okay? All right? So, so, so he, says, he says, come to me, submit to my lordship. You have an internal burden, right? Because you've tried all kinds of things to fill the void in your life. It isn't working. You've got this a massive amount of activities and things that have just been dumped on you. And by the way, they're, they're saying today that kids who are between the ages of four to seven years old, which is completely unhealthy, are out from their homes an average of four to five nights a week. And let me just kind of say this. My kids are grown. But let me say this, that, that most pediatricians and most uh, uh, folks who deal with children are saying it isn't healthy. More is not better. Right? And yet we feel that way. We feel that the dump truck has come, dumped an, a, a whole bunch of activities onto us, and it isn't working. And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and burden, and I will give you, what's the word? Rest. And don't we long for that? Don't we long for that? Yeah. We, we, we absolutely long for that in our life. And rest means a refreshing, a revive from both labor, right, and a long journey as well in our life. So let's skip over Isaiah 40. Look with me in your outline. If you feel the weight of the world on you, the answer is not a plan, a purpose, a priority, a program, a philosophy, or a pill. It is a person. It is a person. And so when we're filling our lives with stuff, what Jesus says in biblical days, and again, I mean, this goes all the way to Genesis 3, and in our culture today, is that we are trying to fill it with things. And the reality is, what we need is a person, Jesus Christ. Then we need to not only come to Him, but we need to surrender and submit to His Lordship in our life. Are we following? We doing okay? Number two, the second principle is this. That I give up my control. Any control freaks in the house? Any control freaks in the house? So let's have a little game. We need a little exercise. We need to do a little Zumba. You ready? So how many of you, and I want you to keep your hands up, all right? 
How many of you do not like to drive in a car when someone else is driving? Go ahead and raise your hand. Keep it up, all right? If your arm gets tired, you can switch, all right? How many of you do not like flying in an airplane because you are not holding the yoke? Keep your hands up. Don't put your hands down. If you don't like driving with someone, keep it up. Okay? How many of you, how many of you think that if you were the boss of your company, not your supervisor, that things would be way better? You sit at home and you think if I was the leader, our company would be way more successful. Okay, How many of you believe that if you could just speak on Sunday morning, the messages would be way better? Yeah, we got people standing up. How many of you believe that you're married to a control freak? All right. I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know what, I, I just want like no control of my life. Never. Because we believe that we're married to a control freak. We believe that if, our, if we were the boss, right? I know our, our associate pastors believe if they were just the lead pastor, I'm telling you things would be way better, right? And, and we think that about our business. Because really deep down inside... We are control freaks. And we have a difficult time releasing control. Would you agree with that? We, we, have, we have a difficult time releasing the control in our life. So here's what Jesus says in your outline. <clears throat> Verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now this is a little bit confusing. Because when you think about your life being filled with things, and Jesus is the answer to strip away it, that text says, here's one more thing you need to do. And our first reaction is, Jesus, I don't need one more thing to do. I need to peel away stuff in order to create margin in my life so that I can live. I need to strip it away in order for me to be able to do things. But he comes along and he says, take my yoke. How many of you know what a yoke is? It's the, it's the little yellow thing in an egg. So it's kind of a weird thing. So Jesus says when you're making eggs, crack it open, take the yoke, and put it in your pocket. Okay? That's, that's, that's kind of a weird thing. And that's going to make your life lighter because you're going to have it dripping down your leg and someone's going to come and go what is that yellow stuff coming out in your bottom of your shoe a yoke is a piece of wood that goes between two animals okay and so symbolically in scripture when they would talk about yoke a yoke for an animal it had really kind of two symbolic or symbols to, to grab a hold of. In your outline, the first one was a partnership. Okay? And the second one was a sign of submission. 
Okay, so, so grab a hold of this and begin to understand. So Jesus says, if you take my yoke, right, there is a partnership that is going to begin to take place in this relationship, okay? There is a partnership that's going to happen. A harness is different from a yoke. A harness in scriptural in scripture was meant to be one animal pulling the full load itself. A yoke was a partnership between two animals who were going to be pulling the load. All right? So he doesn't say take my harness, but he says take my yoke that there is going to be a partnership that's going to involve. Now, after God created the heavens and the earth in six days, what did He do on the seventh day? He rested. So, from a scriptural standpoint, God isn't doing anything in heaven right now. Excuse me, right now. Would you agree with that? There's no circumstance, situation, illness. There's no famine. There's nothing in it's taking place in this world in which God looks down from heaven and says... I am so stressed out, I have no idea what I'm doing. Would you agree with that? Right? So when we take partnership with Him, are we increasing our stress and our load? No, because He has none. There is no load that we're taking on from Him. In fact, we are giving our heavy load to Him, right? who he says in verse 27 that he is equated with God and all authority has been given to him. Right? All sovereignty, all power, all truth has been committed to him. So when we, when we, when we come into partnership or we take his yoke, we are taking our burden and we're giving it to the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, who spoke it into existence, who rested on the seventh day, who has no stress, who has nothing in his life. And so we're taking it and we're giving it to him. Are you tracking? Okay. So if you, if you sit at home or on your way to work or wherever it is in your life and you feel a sense of being overwhelmed, that is a warning to you that you have harnessed the problems of this world on you and you have not been uh, uh, you have not allowed yourself to enter in and we're not talking salvation here but you haven't entered into the partnership where he is carrying your load for you and so stress Feeling overwhelmed, feeling like I don't have enough time to do things is a warning sign. It is the red light, is the yellow light, is it is the lights that are going around saying you must be careful because you have disconnected from him. Now the second symbol is submission. That we are to take his yoke, and there there is the idea of partnership. But there's also the idea of submission. When two animals are yoked together, 
they don't go in separate directions. They don't go at different paces. One doesn't choose to say, hey, I'm going left, and the other one go, I'm going right. They can only go in the same direction, at the same speed, at the same pace in which they are both going. Are we following? Right? So we can't go in a different direction. So so in your outline, when I'm yoked with Christ, we move together at the same direction and the same pace. Okay? Twelve times in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about doing only what His Father is doing. You want to know why He had peace in His life? Because He wasn't doing anything on His own. You want to know what causes problems in our life? When we do things on our own. When we're trying to fill the void, because we are yoked with the world, when we're trying to fill that void in our life, and we believe that if we're going to advance, if we're going to, quote, progress, we just got to do more, have more, consume more, buy more, get our kids involved in more things, because somehow more in our mind equals advancing in our life. And so we go out and we yoke ourselves with the world. See, here's the truth for all of us. We are going to be yoked with something. If you are a people pleaser you are yoked with the expectations of everyone else in your whole family. Is there any saviors, any fixers, any solvers in the group today? And when somebody in the family has a problem, you are yoked to their expectation to do something. Anybody, don't raise your hand, but you know, you know who I'm talking about. Right? You are a savior. And you are yoked to their expectation. And they may even do this. You claim to be a Christian. Right? And you won't, I can't believe you won't help me. You claim to, you know, you go and hear that little guy on Sunday and he runs around and goes, Right? Some of you are yoked to the world for financial things. And that, that's, that's you, you think if you can just amass enough, that's going to fill that hole in your life. And you know the problem with that is? How much is enough? It's never enough, is it? You, you, you think, right, and I've done this with, in premarital counseling, what's enough? Five grand? Then you get five grand, you go, oh, well, what if the car breaks down? I better get ten grand. And you work like crazy to get ten grand, and then so oh well, what if the roof? I need to do the roof. And I got to get fifteen grand, right? Or fifteen bucks. I mean, you put the zeros in there. I don't care, but it's never enough because you're yoked to the world that says that success, fulfillment in your life, is the size of a bank account, right? Climbing the corporate ladder. If I just work enough then I'm going to get the promotion. Someone's going to notice me and I'm going to go up the corporate ladder and I'm going to have on behind my name CEO, COO, whatever, you know, 
whatever it is. Right? You're yoked to the ways of the world. And we wonder in our life how we get so filled with activities and stuff because we're going to be yoked to something. And we're either going to be yoked to Christ or we're going to be yoked to the ways of the world, but we're going to be yoked to something. Verse 30, Jesus says, For my yoke is, what is it? And my burden is light. In the... the, uh, New Living Translation, it's actually closest to the original Greek, believe it or not. And it says this, for my yoke fits perfectly. And in the Greek, that's, that's actually what it means. It means that it fits perfectly in our life. What was Jesus' earthly father? What was his trade? Carpenter, right? And his trade was a carpenter because it was typically handed down from his earthly father, right? Well, a carpenter in biblical days didn't build houses and buildings, Right? Buildings and houses back in those days would be probably like our sheds today. Just kind of a little four walls and a, and a roof and a dirt floor. It wasn't you know, three, three uh, levels and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was pretty simple. Most of the carpenters in biblical times made furniture and farm equipment. So imagine Jesus saying this. For 30 years of his life with his father under his father's his earthly father, Joseph's teaching, he learned how to make yoke. And he would go, if a, if a carpenter would go to make a yoke for a farmer, they wouldn't, it, it's not just like a piece of wood and call it good. They would file it down, they would rasp it down to fit the size of the animal to make sure that it wouldn't cause any rubbing or chaffing of the animal. So for us in our culture, it would be like wearing a, 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 a shoe that is well-worn and well-fitting, right? And so a carpenter would create a yoke that would be specifically for that animal. And you wouldn't take a yoke and just throw it on another animal because it wouldn't fit that animal. And so each animal would have its own unique yoke. And so as Jesus speaks here, he says, the yoke that I'm creating for you, with your uniqueness, with your personality, with, your, with your, your, the way that I wired you, is perfect, not for Pastor Dan, but for you. And you are to take that yoke and you are to put, put it on you because it will fit you perfectly and you will be in partnership you will be submitting to him and he will be taking the load off of you as he carries it for you see the discomfort that we have in our life is we take a yoke from the world and we put it on and it creates all kinds of problems in our scheduling in our finances in our moral life. The third truth is this, that I learned to trust. I learned to trust. In verse 29, he says, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, I, uh, and you will find rest 
for your souls. So let's go back and take a look at each of these words. The word learn means a lifetime learner, okay? It's not like somebody just goes and learns something and poof, it's done, it's over with. But it means a lifetime, that you are to spend a lifetime watching or evaluating Christ's teaching. All right? And then he says something unique, and it's kind of an interesting thing, because when you read it, you go, well, it almost doesn't fit. Because if he's wanting us to experience peace, and he's wanting us to strip away all the things that we're trying to do to, create our, uh, to, to work our way to heaven, then I'm not really so sure that I want him to teach me to be gentle and humble. I'm actually thinking it would be better that he would teach me how to do time management. Right? That, that, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, Jesus, you need to teach me how to do gold setting, gold setting, and you need to help me to have time management and current, uh, 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 confidence and courage to tell people no. But he says, no, I, I want to teach you to be gentle and humble. And here's why. Look with me in your outline. What often fills our life is quick decisions and an attitude of, it all depends on me. Isn't it true? It's exactly true. We're very hostile when it comes to making decisions. Someone says, hey, you want to go? Yeah! Hey, you want to sign up? Sure! Hey, can your kids go? Why not? Right? We're quick to make decisions. And isn't it true for most of us it's, it's easy to sign up. It's difficult to unsign up. Isn't it? Right? Now, some of you, you just don't show up. You just, you don't care. Right? But, but, but for, for others, it's like you're committed. I gave them my word. My kid's going to go. And I'm going to do it no matter how much it drives me crazy. I'm just going to keep doing it because they committed. Right? And, and even as a parent, when my kids were younger, you know, I would say, no, no, you signed up. You made a commitment. We're going. Right? Because remember, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, your no. The problem is we are far too quick to say yes and not too quick to say no to activities. Isn't it true? Right? So Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to be gentle and I want you to be humble. I want you to recognize that you cannot solve every person's problem in your family. You can't fix them. You can't do it. You can't make every appointment that someone signs you up for. It's impossible. You cannot make everyone happy if you're a people pleaser in your life. Get over it. Right? In fact, here, I'll give you permission. You just blame me. I get blamed for all kinds of stuff anyway, right? So you can just, next time you want to tell someone no, you just say, hey, you know what? That little guy I listened to on Sunday morning, he told me, no, I don't got to do it. Blame me. Give them my email so they can, they can call me because I have a delete button on my keyboard. You got one of those? I just see that start reading it. 
two lines into it, delete. I don't like what they're saying. Delete, done, right? But we're quick to jump into, we believe that we can solve everyone's problems. And so Jesus comes in, says something very unique and different, and he says, for I am gentle and humble, right? And then look what he says. And what is the byproduct when we learn to be gentle, slow to make decisions, recognizing that we're not the Lord of the universe that He is. <clears throat> he says, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and, and you will find, what will you find? Anxiety. You will find rest, right? For your souls in your life. That when we begin to learn and we begin to recognize that, that we find rest in our souls. Now, now here's, I, I want you to grab a hold of this as we go into, to, into next week and the weeks to come. Here is where all of us, and I believe from Genesis 3 on to today, the problem is we are all, we have a void in our soul that we believe needs to be filled with stuff. And we are yoked to the world. And the world believes buy more, consume more, have more, do more. And we fill our lives with it. And here is the challenge for all of us. Are you willing to unyoke yourself from the world? Are you willing to be humble and gentle in spirit? Recognizing that you're not the Savior. Recognizing that you can't do anything. But you can be yoked to the one, in verse 27, who has all authority and who is equal to God the Father. When you begin to kind of tie those things together and recognize that in your life, the pace, the stress, the anxiety of the world begins to strip away and you recognize that you can't, but He can. And only He can. And so it, if for us in your outline, it just at the last step, and we'll wrap this thing up, the next step for us is this week, go to a quiet place and, and commit your life to Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't have a personal relationship. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you don't, you need to. If you do, then you need to commit your life to Him and remember that your life means... Every area of your life. Because you cannot go at a different pace in a different direction from the Lord if you are yoked to Him. It's His pace. It's His direction. Right? It's His guidance in our life. And so as we start off, I want you to, you know, I just challenge you on it. And here's where most of us are going to fail. We're going to look at this next week. The two things that we desperately need the most is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, right? Putting God first in our life and every area of our life. And the second one is having an intentional rest or Sabbath in our life. And when our life is overloaded, 
the two things and the first two things that get pushed aside is seeking first the kingdom and an intentional Sabbath in your life. Now, I've said it and you've said it and we've all said it. How many times have you thought this and had conversation? You know, I didn't have a devotional time last week because I was so busy in my life. Anybody? It's the first thing that we push aside is our devotion to Christ. And it is really the last thing that we ought to. Let's pray. Father, as we gather today and we know whether we're teenagers and high schoolers or whether we're retired, that the pace of life at times is absolutely maddening. It's crazy. It seems like it's going 150,000 miles an hour around us. And yet we recognize that you've come to give us life. (laughs) And we scratch our head and we wonder what that is. And today, Lord, I just pray that each of us will just visually in our mind remove the yoke that we have strapped on to the world. The belief of progressing, the belief of climbing up the ladder, advancing, and that we'll unyoke ourselves from that and yoke ourselves with Christ. Lord, my prayer is, as, as a pastor and just as a Christ follower and as a leader of the church, Lord, that each of us will walk with you at your speed, at your pace, in your direction in our life. And Father, I pray that as we enter into this Christmas season, may you help us to strip away the busyness that we find ourselves in to focus on you and to focus on who you are and what you are to us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you have never entered into a personal relationship with Christ and I want to give you that opportunity to do so. We just do kind of a little ABC to kind of help us out. There's no formula, it's a heart issue, but it's just a way that we express our heart. A is admit that we've made mistakes or we've sinned. And actually that word sin is an archery term. It means you miss the mark. That you've shot your arrow and it didn't hit the target. And we have all have sinned. We have all have fallen short of God's glory. B is believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross and that He rose again. And C is to confess Him to be your Lord and Savior. And if it's your heart's desire to invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, just as I say this prayer, silently repeat after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I've missed the mark, that I've made mistakes, that I've sinned. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He died on a cross and that He rose again. And today, I confess Him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank You for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a new start, a new heart, a new mind, a new walk with you. 
Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, as we give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with, Father, we know that all good things come from heaven, and you are a good God who gives to your children, and we're grateful for that. Father, as we give back, may you bless this offering. May you use it to the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of the folks here and for their generosity and for their obedience to you. And I pray, God, that you'll bless them in a special way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said.